はい Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we relive week seven in the CFL, another entertaining week of action. And we'll check in with Derek Ingram, Golf Canada coach from here in Winnipeg, on Brooke Henderson's major title in France. That's all coming up on the podcast. The weekly recap of CFL action. Last week was full of drama. It was incredible. Four games all decided late in the fourth quarter. What would we have for a follow-up this week? Well, let's find out when we relive week seven in the CFL right now. We start in our nation's capital with the zero-win Red Blacks hosting the one-win Alouettes. What a division the East is. But when you've got two teams that aren't great and make lots of mistakes, you often get some solid entertainment, and that's exactly what we got in this one. Solid start for the Red Blacks. They get a touchdown from Darvin Adams, a point from Kicks. It's 11 zip in the second when Montreal decides to be better at football. Trevor Harris hits Fergie Mayala for a real nice play. 69 yards to the Ottawa 1. Dom Davis punches it in. Two-point convert. It's a three-point game. Isles get the ball right back. Jeshra and Antwi rips off a 55-yard run. A few plays later, Harris to Mayala, and the Owls are ahead. Now to the third. After some field goals, it's a one-point affair when Davis gets his second sneak TD of the night to make it 25-17. Things looking good for Montreal when they force a 2-0. But then Antoine Pruneau tackles the punt returner in the end zone. Started out of the end zone. That's a safety. Two points. Ball back to Ottawa, and they make good. Seven plays later into the end zone to take the lead. Now to the fourth, and the Owls are driving into the red zone. But Vernon Adams Jr. is in for short yardage, and he fumbles, and Ottawa recovers, but they go two and out. Montreal gets it to first and goal at the five. Gain of three, gain of one. Third and goal from the one. And is he in? I don't know, but they called a touchdown. They can't overturn it, so Owls go for two. They get it, a seven-point lead. Ottawa, though, now driving into Montreal territory. Not Nate Bahar fumbled. Montreal recovers. They run it back to the Ottawa three. Next play touchdown. 14-point game, and that ought to do it. No, it's the CFL. You know better. It's never over till it's over. 2.29 to go. Caleb Evans sneaks it in. Montreal goes two and out. And with two minutes left, Ottawa has a chance. Pass interference gets them to midfield. Into Montreal territory. Now to the 24. Third and four, and they convert with a minute to go. And now a high tackle is called on Montreal that's overturned after a longer view. And then Evans finds Darvin Adams wide open. Oh, no. He, he dropped it in the end zone. Oh, and the next play he sacked, but a penalty. Roughing the pass. Uh, oh God. Another long review, and that's over turn two. No rough play. Okay, so it's third and 19. They don't get it, and a really drawn-out ending. All these reviews, just get it right on the field. I don't know, kind of neutered the drama, but Darwin, he had to catch that. He didn't. Red Blacks lose another heartbreaker. They're still winless. To BC, where the Lions were playing just their fifth game of the year. Okay, hosting Hamilton. Lions open with a turnover on downs, then a pick, but Dabbies can't make the pay. 3-3 late in the second one. Finally, something happens. Nathan Rourke to Javon Katoy, 10-3 Leos, then 10-6. Then a missed field goal from Hamilton to close at the half. Hamilton gets the ball to start the third, and then they fumble, and then BC takes it into the end zone nine plays later. Lucky Whitehead. 17-6 in a low-scoring affair, but uh, the Cats respond the very next drive. Dan Evans to Stephen Dunbar, and it's a five-point game because they missed the two-point convert. Then, not a lot happens for a while. Lots of punts. Three-minute warning in the fourth. Ticats, they need a touchdown to take the lead, but on third down from the Lions, 11, the BC defense holds. That should do it unless Rourke inexplicably takes a deep shot that gets picked off. The Tabbies have life again in midfield. Uh, if only they kicked a field goal on their last possession. Ah, it didn't matter. They gained zero yards. They turn it over on downs. Lions get the ball back. They punt again. One last chance. Hail Mary for midfield gets batted around. Oh, hope for a split second, but then it's picked. And the Lions are 4-1. Ticats fall to 1-5. 
Friday night in Edmonton. Could the Elks hand Winnipeg loss number one, or would they lose an 11th straight home game? This one was ugly. Bombers defense gets things started by picking off Taylor Cornelius. Next play, Zach Kolaris hits Rasheed Bailey for a 26-yard score, and then it becomes a bit of a kicking exhibition with punts and field goals. Huzzah! Sergio Castillo from 52, Mark Leggio from 20, Castillo from 44. It's 10-6 Winnipeg late in the first half win, as they've done so often this year. Offense rises right before the first half is done. Kolaris hits Dalton Schoen for an 81-yard catch and run, a backbreaker. Now 17-6, 17-9, 17-10, one-score game. The Elks... Eight and a half to go, though, and a chance to get off the field in the fourth. Oh, they rough Legio on a punt. You don't give Winnipeg a second chance. Eight plays later, Drew Brown sneaks it in for the insurance score. 24-10 is the final. The Bombers do not win pretty, but they win. That's the most important thing. They're 7-0. And finally, yesterday at Mosaic, a rare Sunday game at the CFL because the Riders had COVID issues, so it was moved back a day. And they're missing a lot of starters, including their quarterback. So Jake Dolagala is playing against the Argos. 3-3 midway through the second, and the visitors crack the end zone first. McLeod Bethel Thompson to Curly Gittins Jr. Love that name for 70 yards. Late in the first half, Dolagala, though, he responds with a touchdown pass of his own to make it 11-9. They go for two, kind of early, but they don't get it. That should be the halftime score. Except the Argos got a bit greedy. They line up for a 61-yard field goal because Boris Beattie's got a huge leg, but it's kind of inaccurate. What did he do? He missed. And the recently acquired, because he's good at returns, Mario Alford, he returns, he could go all the way. 112 yards to the house, oh. And again, they go for two and miss it. So the lead points on the field. It's a four point lead now, it's a seven point lead. 21-14 in the fourth when thanks to some Andrew Harris runs, the Argos march down the field and they tie the game. Riders go two and out, the Argos do it again. Thanks to Harris, a tired and shorthanded defense can't hold up. Harris becomes the first Canadian to run for 10,000 yards in the CFL, how awesome is that? Beanie good for 29 yards with 47 seconds left. On the ensuing kickoff, could Alford do it again? Desperate to make a play, ah, he fumbled it. Argos scoop and score, so the over hits. Fun for gamblers. The Argos improved to three and two. Starting to look a bit like a season from hell for the Riders. Anyway, week seven in the books. What a wild ride for Canadian golf fans yesterday as 24-year-old Brooke Henderson from Smith's Falls, Ontario, won her second LPGA major title, capturing the Avion Championship with a birdie on the final hole. Started the day with a two-stroke lead. It evaporated quickly. Bogey, the opening hole, had a four-putt double bogey on the sixth. All of a sudden, there were about 10 golfers that looked like they could win, and I thought, Brooks blowing it. No, but steadied the ship, started making pars, and then birdied three of the final five holes, including the last, to become the first Canadian to win two majors. It's awesome. And to talk about the triumph, I talked uh, earlier today with Winnipeg's Derek Ingram, head coach of Golf Canada's men's team. And I started by asking him about his experience watching the final round yesterday. Yeah, no, it was super exciting. Nothing better than getting up. Uh, well, first of all, being home on the weekend, then getting up and being able to watch uh, Brooke, who's a superstar, win, it, win another major. And it was it was awesome. And, and great to see her, you know, really clutch up at the end and and get it done. Because watching the the first you know third of that final round when she four putts on the front nine, you're thinking, oh my gosh, she just gave away a lead. Now there's you know eight players that are all of a sudden all even there. It was anyone's to get, and you know she held steady and really brought it home when it mattered most. Yeah, no, certainly I think there's a lot of people who are thinking, wow, when that happened, that it might have been over for her. But uh, I just loved how she settled herself down and. And got back to her plan and, and just playing her game. And, uh, you know, it really helps having your sister on the bag, someone you trust. And 
you know, has got your best interest in obviously. And, and they've got a, you know, unreal relationship, but yeah, they studied the ship and, uh, you know, started to make a couple timely birdies at the back nine when it really, it really mattered. It was also great for her to recognize. Yeah, no, that, that's not what I wanted to have happen, but I'm still in a reasonable position if I can start to play my game. And she makes, yeah, as you mentioned some putts, there was a couple that uh, swirled around the hole and went down for her. And when that happens, you start to wonder, maybe it is, you know, fate that's on my side now because these are these breaks are going for me. Well, and I think, you know, she had such a great start to the tournament. You know, she, I think she was 66, 66 and, um, you know, off to the lead. And, actually. I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. 64, 64. So that's just unreal golf. And, you know, she was clearly playing at the top of her game. And I think really it was more an anomaly, just a bad start, the, the, the final round than, than anything. She knew she was playing great and, and had putted great all week. And, um, you know, that was, that was great for to see her settle it down and, and get it done. When you're in a tournament uh, of this magnitude, we saw it at the British Open as well, where Rory and Victor Hovland in the final pairing both weren't playing too well. And then the penultimate pairing of the Camerons were both playing amazing golf. Is when yeah. you're when your playing partner and you with Henderson wasn't playing all that well in the front nine either. Do you does that happen where you're not playing well because your partner's not playing well and there's like a negative energy that festers and then conversely when one's playing well can push you to play better, or is it really just every man or woman for themselves? I think it's both yes and no to that, that question, Christian, because sometimes you get a bit of mojo going where uh, you're both playing well and feeding off each other and having fun and seeing great shots and seeing putts go in. And, and, and you can gain some momentum from that. Uh, and, you know, I think certainly that does happen. And then, and then there's situations where it can be negative momentum as well, when you're seeing some bad shots or someone in the group is getting super pissed off or angry or, or whatever, and, and it can drag you down. And so, you know, we talk about not letting that stuff bother us, you know, from a coaching standpoint and players, and playing your own game and just not giving that any energy and ignoring it if it's negative and, you know, possibly riding it if it's positive or not letting it bother you if you're not getting the breaks or not, you know, playing that great beating, but someone else in your group is. You know, you like to think that we're immune to that, but we're human and we're not. And we see that and sometimes feed off that that both negative or positive energy. And I guess it's just magnified when it's the final round of a major and you're the final pairing. Well, for sure. And every single, you know, eye is on you when you're in the final pairing or two. And, you know, on TV, we just see the the best of the best playing their best that week. We, you know, we generally don't show that people are finishing 55th and struggling around and how hard it is. So, uh, but there is other people struggling. It's, it's, they're, they're difficult golf courses. Uh, there's a lot of pressure and, uh, but uh, it was, you know, very special to see her calm herself down and, and really, you know, flip the switch and, and, you know, play great at the end when it really mattered. How much work have you ever done with Brooke? I worked with Brooke when I was coaching our women's team a long time ago. Brooke was our first, a first year athlete on our, on our women's team. And she's actually, I was coaching our junior team and our, our amateur team. And she was 13 years old. And I, I took her to a couple tournaments and got to know her very well that, you know, that first year. And then I moved uh, from our women's side back to the men's side, uh, the year after always had a great relationship with her always loved her she's super athletic you know very very fun uh works hard she's a killer uh and also a really nice person and now at the age of 24 she has her second major the breakthrough in 2016 when someone's 18 and wins a major you wonder how many they're gonna get right and now six years later the breakthrough for number two her 12th tour victory Mm -hmm. she's the greatest canadian golfer right ever 
Yeah, I would say she's the greatest Canadian golfer ever. And I think there's more to come for her. And I don't think she or anybody in Canada and, you know, really thought it was going to take her another six years to win her next major. And hopefully it doesn't take six months for the, for the next one after that. Um, so she's had to endure and, you know, people questioning her, even though she's the greatest player ever, you know, to come out of Canada, male or female in golf. I still think she's got more in her. Uh, not, I don't say that to add pressure. I believe she can be the number one player in the world and can win even more. But uh, I'm just thrilled to, to see her get this win and, and have her career, you know, really on a nice track this year with two wins and playing great. I know the bar isn't super high for all-time Canadian golfers just because the stats aren't really there. In terms of tour wins, there just haven't been all that many by Canadians over the course of history. What do you think it's been yeah. about Brooke that's that's helped her become that stature already at the age of 24? I think one of the biggest things is she's a multi-sport athlete growing up, played, you know, played hockey. She was a goalie. Uh, played other sports and was very, very competitive. I think there's some other things in, in terms of environment that, you know, are interesting. You know, he, she had an older sister who was a high performance player and very, very good. So she pushed her a lot and it pushed Brooke to try and, you know, compete with her sister and beat her. Um, you know, I think we're, you know, we're a big country with not many people in it compared to some other countries and not a ideal, ideal weather, if you recall uh, this winter, <laughs> Christian. So yeah. there's some things stacked against us, you know, to compare ourselves against countries like the United States. But uh, I, I think in some areas we're punching above our weight class, but in other areas we've got a long way to go. So I'm not really sure. Uh, those are some reasons why maybe we don't have more than 12, although Brookster is going to hopefully uh, help us out there. And certainly a lot of guys in the PGA Tour with ability to win as well, and hopefully we'll get that going as, as well. What do you think is the best part of Brooks' game? Hmm. Well, she doesn't really have a lot of gaps in her game. She hits it very long, especially given her stature. She's only, I think she's probably 5'4". She hits it, but she's strong and, and like I said, very athletic and great hand-eye coordination. Uh, so she hits the ball very long. It's kind of a lower ball flight, so if it's wet out, it's, it's not as long, but it does chase a ton. Uh, what else? I, I would say her, her biggest strength is just her competitiveness. You know, she's, she's a real killer with a smile and loves to win and hates to lose. And, uh, you know, when she's under the gun, she's not afraid to win. And so I would think that's her biggest strength and maybe her, possibly her biggest weakness. If she has, if there's any weaknesses in, in a 12 time LPGA tour winner is that sometimes she's a bit of a streaky putter. Do you like that? The LPGA has five majors. You know, for me, I'm a bit more of a traditionalist where I like to know uh, the majors by name. I think they're doing a better job of that, you know, but in men's golf, you know, you know, those four majors and, and they're, you know, they're right in front of you. You can, you know, it, whereas in women's golf, they've had trouble sometimes losing them. They do have the, the, the open or the British open. Uh, this Evian one is, is huge. It's been, you know, starting to be known as a major, you know, the LPGA championship, the U S open. So they have, they have them, but five i mean I, I, i'm good either way uh it's, it's it's certainly exciting to have a fifth major and maybe in the pga tour the players championship might be our fifth major or the rbc canadian open <laughs> but, but anyway uh yeah I, i'm i'm indifferent to it i think it's kind of cool okay i can't get you out of yeah. here uh without asking you about live just because it's kind of the cloud hanging over golf right now on the men's side of things yeah what do you think of it do you think it's here to stay do you think it's a real competitor because of all the cash that they're throwing around I do. I don't think they're going anywhere. 
I think the PGA Tour and the Live should get together and work together uh, because I think the PGA Tour doesn't want to lose some of those superstars that they have lost. Uh, and you know, if they can work together, probably both leaders of both tours need to go in order for that to happen possibly, or they just need to come together. Um, you know, I'm a PGA tour guy. I'm a, I'm a major guy. So I, I believe the PGA tour will always be the standard, but I do not think the live golf tour is going away. And I think, um, they've got enough star power to make it very interesting and fun, and hopefully they can coexist and, and uh, coexist and, and help grow the game, and it can be great for golf fans. Do you hold it against anyone that goes over there? No, no, no. I do. I don't okay. at all. I mean, it's really like pre-senior tour, pre-champion tour for those four-year-olds who maybe aren't quite as competitive, and and uh, you know, people have to do what's right for them, and and uh, you know, it seems that everybody's got a number uh, in terms of what they're what they're worth, and and I, I can understand that. I mean, uh, I don't blame anyone for doing that, and I don't hold any ill will for people to you know for doing what's best for them and their family. So uh, before I let you go, what does what does a typical week look like for Derek Ingram these days? Well, just about to hop on a plane on my way to the PGA Tour Canada event in Toronto for this week, and then uh, next week I'm going to split my time between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour. Uh, the week after that, I'm going to split my time between the Corn Ferry <laughs> Tour and the PGA Tour, uh, and then. Uh, uh, I'm just all over the place for the next seven weeks uh, t- traveling and uh, mostly on the PGA Tour, some on the Corn Ferry Tour, and then ultimately at the World Am- Amateur Championship in France, uh, hopefully for Canada to have a, have a great finish there. So that's kind of what my, my next <laughs> few weeks look like. And uh, they're going to be a lot of fun, but uh, away from my family, maybe a tad more than I'd like. Summer's busy for you then. Yeah, no, definitely busy, but stuff I love to do. There you go, Derek. Well, appreciate your time today. Thanks for this and uh, best of luck with everything. Yeah, my, my pleasure, Christian. Nice chatting. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. And thanks for all the fish So sad that it should come to this We try to warn you over the day You may not share our intellect Which might explain